Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you would think that any intellectually honest person could see the damage that sin is doing in our society today. Yet the truth of the matter is that sin is seen today by many as nothing more than a choice, even as it continues to assault our lives. Consider the abortions and sexually transmitted diseases, both spawned by promiscuous sexual behavior of heterosexuals and homosexuals alike, and see the resultant needless deaths of hundreds of thousands each year in North America, and see the snowball effect as this sinful behavior is more widely promoted, self-centered indulgence soars. Sex, pornography, violence, and crime have become the accepted norm in the entertainment industry. There are no white hat heroes or decent endings any longer. Flooded by immoral images, young people suffer. We see more of teenage pregnancies, illegal drug trafficking, school violence, suicides and what have you. Disregard for the word of God, and in particular the Ten Commandments, has by default led to an acceptance of moral decay. Once upon a time, the Lord's Prayer and the Bible were part of the public school curriculum. Children were taught to live by the golden rule. Such is no longer the case. It's all gone in the name of religious equal rights. Understand it clearly, brothers and sisters, and of you, boys and girls, where there is no moral law, there is no law of decency to break. People are free to function without anything holding them back. We're thankful that the Lord God has taught us his moral law, especially to be seen in the Ten Commandments. We are thankful that we and our children may listen to the law each Sunday and live out of it every day of the week. We are thankful that we may be reminded by the law of how God delivers us and keeps us close to himself, how he teaches us to love our fellow man. And we want to see our children continue to walk in the ways we have walked. We know that there is a tremendous pull on their lives to have them turn away from their covenant God. Our hope concerning you young people is that you put in the effort to learn to know the Lord. You are not born perfect, as some might suggest. You are born inclined to do evil, and that needs to be removed. As children, you need to be brainwashed. No, not as some would see brainwashing, but 
brainwashed in the sense that your inclinations to do what is evil by nature needs to be flushed out by the word of God and replaced by a renewed mind concentrated on doing what is good in the eyes of the Lord. Today we move to the second stanza of Psalm 119, Beth, verses 9 through 16, as this addresses the call for a young person to be clean. Of course, the message is not just for the young. Scripture gives us clear instruction that adults need also be spoken to here, as much as it calls them in many and various ways to put aside childish ways. So I proclaim to you this morning the word of our Lord as we find that with our text under the following theme and heads. Psalm 119, Beth, and the theme then being clean in the eyes of the Lord. Look at the first place, the requirements that must be faced. Secondly, the response that must take place. The requirements that must be faced. How can a young man keep his way pure? This is how the psalmist starts the second stanza of Psalm 119, each verse of which begins with the Hebrew letter Beth. There's not much searching on the part of the psalmist to find the answer. He expresses knowledge of what it requires right away. By living according to your word. It's kind of like how Psalm 121 starts, isn't it? I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? The psalmist's answer is there right away to, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The technique of putting it this way is quite positive and effective. We may have our questions in life, but we are of those who also know the answers. There's not a thing in life, or hardly a thing in life, that starts as a question that we don't have the answer for. And that answer is one answer. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Indeed, we may know most of the answers of life because we are God's covenant people. For the most part, we know the answers already at a very early age. As children, you learn to put your focus on God. Whenever we get to see a glimpse of the troubled lives of those who live in the world, our parents are are able to point us to the beautiful confession of faith in the Lord and say, Children, be comforted in knowing you belong to the Lord offset the insecurity others may have by trusting that God is there for you. When others lose children, they are inconsolable because we live according to God's word. We and our children may find a tremendous hope under similar circumstances. Indeed, we're wonderfully blessed in knowing we have a heavenly father to take care of us, congregation. But having said that, I do wonder if in the reality of everyday living, this is not too simplistic a view. Of course, we say that we trust in God's word. 
Our being here Sunday after Sunday conveys that our trust in God is what motivates our lives. And not to minimize that, not to detract from that. But there's another side to us, isn't there? Reality shows us that we're not always happy with our lot. We have those moments where we question if our trust in God is complete. I'm sure you've had those moments, young and old alike, where you questioned your own sincerity at being a Christian. If to be even the least bit serious, we all at one time or another have asked ourselves, how is my life different from my unbelieving neighbor? I'm talking about that one who has those moral, those certain morals who exhibits a certain ethical character. Perhaps we can look back on what we did this past week and we can say of ourselves, I'm sure my neighbor's life has been much more exemplary for doing good than my own has, knowing what you've done, what you've done wrong. For you didn't see him get drunk, And yet, I'm sure some of us can say, and if not that particular thing, something else, that we can say, I was. I didn't see him do drugs, yet this past week I did. It may not be a serious as those offenses are, but still. I believe, congregation, that it is good that we challenge ourselves on the question of sincerity. For we know that things are not always right in how we live before the Lord. We may have and hold as true that what God's Word gives in the way of promise, but what are we doing With those promises. It's one thing to say you are a a Christian. A Christian youth. But do your works show this to be true? Are you up to the challenge. Of doing more in your life. Than you are. So we look to the question once more. The question the psalmist starts with. And that he begs the need to find an answer for. Only let us look a little deeper now as well. How can a young man keep his way pure? What must he do? What must you do? What must I do? The question asks us to move from the negative to the positive. We're presented here with the the problem of our daily struggle. What the Bible is saying here is that the power of temptation are constantly in our lives. And especially in the lives of our youth. As they are still in need of further equipment. 
We need to identify that as being true and reality. If we're going to ask the right question and find the right answer, we cannot just say, all oh, the answer is simple, just like the psalmist shows us. We just have to do as mom and dad said, live according to God's word. Indeed, we're wise to listen to mother and father. Proverbs 2, verse 1 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. However, the question is, are we always busy doing that? It can be so easy to say all the right things our parents have taught us. But what about doing what is taught? Living according to God's word does not happen just because we have identified it as being the guide to our lives. Think about it carefully, boys and girls. What God means to our lives is much more powerful than anything we can do for ourselves. That's why we need to seek Him in this life. We need His help and guidance if we're going to live successfully. That's not an option. Go without Him and we are lost. So there is a problem here that needs an answer. Keep that in mind when you think you're living according to God's word. Because it's not just a particular psalmist here. We can, we can identify it with him. But the fact that he uses these words, that he chooses these words, that he identifies with a need in his life, might it suggest to you that that need is also in yours. There's a priority that must exist with us, congregation. The psalmist says, I seek you with all my heart. Is that a fair description of your life? Are you seeking God in everything you do with all your heart, all your heart, all your Christian effort? Why is it that so many of us, and youth included then, do not get our problems cleaned up? Is it not because our approach to the throne of God is is half-hearted? We read the Bible. How many of you remember what was read last night at the supper table? Could it be that your heart was not in it? Perhaps instead of listening to the word of God, you were busy listening to your, to your mind, busy planning your evening. The more important matters of playing a game with friends or having a drink with them. Mom, Dad, can we finish and read now already? I have to go. And oh yes, you remember what the conversation was about at that party you went to quite well. Why? Well, because you had your heart and mind on it to discuss those all-important topics. 
priorities. The Bible tells us that if we expect to see results in our lives, we need to seek God with the whole heart. Life is not about having one foot in the Bible and one foot in the world. We need to identify a priority and hold on to that when we say, I seek you, Lord, with all my heart. What is it that brings us to making such a strong expression? In real life, it seems that we never speak or pray quite like that, with such urgency. When was the last time you said, I seek your face, Lord. I do it now with all my heart. I dare say, For most of us, it will take a real crisis in our lives to come to such an expression. As we said, this is not about a special person or a special circumstance that the author of this psalm writes. This is about what we all need to experience doing on a daily basis. Every one of you is called to mark the priority. Know then what makes it a priority. We need to identify the peril that is always near. We speak so easily about sin. We acknowledge it in our lives and even say it with strong language. Lord, what a miserable sinner I am. And one you hear as well quite often, forgive me my many, many, many sins. But the very next moment we forget what we've just said and set on the course to sin some more. We don't even think for a moment about what we just prayed. You can remember end of a meeting, prayer being made, young people's, for someone to ask, did we pray already? The peril is always there, congregation. Therefore, it has to be real for you. If the word you seek from the Lord to offset the peril is going to be genuine. Do not let me stray from your commands. The psalmist knows that his natural bent is is away from the word of God. That's true in all of us, brothers and sisters. Our natural inclination is away from the Bible and the law of God and not towards it. The real problem that we have in coming to the word is not the power of the word to change us, but the problem lies with what is going on in our hearts exactly at the moment we're reading about what we need. A lot of us never get serious about commitment to be pure because we haven't really understood the peril that sin can bring on. 
Boys and girls, the Word of God, and in particular the law of God, needs to become the entertainment of your life. Worldly entertainment is but a temporal thing. And in most cases, let us say in many cases, it is detrimental to your life rather than beneficial. What can the world offer you? If salvation is all about victory over the enticements of Satan, the world, and our own flesh. You really do have to understand these enticements to be true. You need to be protected from the world. It's not just about having knowledge of the word of God. Satan has knowledge of the word of God too. The world has knowledge of the Bible as well. Don't kid yourself. Both know about the law of God. As God's covenant children, you need more. There is a definite place where the battle is won. And the psalmist tells us where that is. I have hidden your word in my heart, he says. The heart is the battleground where spiritual battles are won or lost, congregation. The battle is not won in our actions, first of all. It is won in our hearts. The real battle for our lives is fought inside, first of all, and not outside. Look again at Proverbs 2, this time at the verses 10 through 12. For wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discernment will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse. Paul says in Colossians 3, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. There is a purpose to your life, young people. You are not created to walk about without purpose or to indulge yourself in all that life has to offer. Your life needs to conform to the will of God. The psalmist says in a very personal way, his purpose in life, that I might not sin against you. Oh, we dedicate ourselves to doing so much in life. We strive for excellence. When it comes to elevating ourselves, we pummel the body to be the best at athletics or at reaching the top of the world of commerce or what have you. We love to be number one, but how much effort is put into not wanting to sin against God. How busy are we studying to fill our hearts with wisdom, to remove that God should see sin at work in us, congregation? Of saying to yourself, let it never be seen by Him again. Sinning against God puts us into terrible bondage. Young people, 
God means to free us from that bondage because of the terrible consequences. The desire not to sin against God should not be restricted to some arbitrary list of major sins. It's not enough to say, oh, I haven't killed or stolen. That's what the other man did. That's what the man of the world does. My sins are small in comparison to his. You need to apply the word sin to everything the Bible calls sin. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls. And that is things like being angry. Just saying, you fool, or what have you. Those are all things that are are negative. You need to seek restoration so you can be as God once intended you to be in paradise. God offers that restoring power to your lives through the restoring work of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit sent by Him and the Father to work in our hearts. He gives you His law to be lived by, restored to us, because Christ has fulfilled doing them perfectly for us, that we now in thankfulness may look at them again as they speak about God and our neighbor and seek with the whole of our being to do the will of the Lord according to them. Remembering this has entered our hearts This has fed us with God's wisdom that we need this to disperse everything of sin and death that still remains in us. So to go forward, so we come to the second point, the response that must take place. If anyone is going to be of help to you in this life, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, It is God and God alone. In creating you, it has been his purpose that you should do what is good in his eyes. No one else has such good intentions for your life. Either they seek your hurt, as is seen with the devil and some mean-spirited people, Or it can be that they cannot prevent your hurt, as is seen with everyone else. Your own parents will do you harm if you would trust only in them and no more. Your own husband or wife, boyfriend or girlfriend, will not be perfect in their love if you trust only in them. And they trust only in themselves. Our egos get in the way of showing the love we should show to God and to our friend or our partner or our parent. And only God is able to solve your problems. He is perfect in his love toward those who listen to his word and are governed by his commandments. And that's why the psalmist sees the importance of knowing God in his heart and searching out every way 
to not sin against God. Paul says in, to Timothy in the second letter, chapter 2, verse 19, everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. And he adds in verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. It's not enough just to not do things, congregation. We are so good at that, aren't we? We must not just be negative, saying, I'm not going to do that. We also have to be positive by saying, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what is right. That's why the psalmist calls for us to respond out of the knowledge of what it is to be clean by demonstrating that we are. It's not enough that Christ has redeemed you as one righteous in the eyes of the Lord. Holiness must also begin to take place in our lives. What is the sign of our holiness beginning to show, brothers and sisters, boys and girls? What is the sign? Well, it is when we are inclined to say with the psalmist, Praise be to you, O Lord. If your heart is full, then it must be full of the praise for the Lord. Or do you more often hide the fact that you belong to him as in public, as with your neighbor? The psalmist shows us that our praise for God will come only if we have the desire within us to say, teach me your decrees. Are you busy with God's decrees, his laws? Don't fall into the trap that that many Christians have fallen into with regard to the law of God. I often hear Christians say about the law, oh, they are something out of the Old Testament. I don't need them any longer. I have Christ. The law is not dead. It's not useless now that Christ has come. On the contrary, Christ came to fulfill the demand of the law in our place so that we might be restored to God. Restored to God means that we are inclined more and more to live in thankfulness to God, seeing daily to live by His law, His will in other words, knowing that Christ said that not a dot, an iota of it shall disappear, that is of the law, until he comes back again. What does that say? If not that the psalm, the psalms, as they portray that as Psalm 119 and, one, and Psalm 19 say, that the law of God is a beautiful thing. Not to be done away with. It's a beautiful thing to keep. To do. And so to say with the psalm of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect. 
reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Indeed, the psalmist of our text knows that to be true in his life as well, for which reason he says, with my lips I recount all the laws that that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as I as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Knowing the importance of God in our lives, we must all the more rejoice and delight in His word, in His laws, congregation. For what are the laws? Some harsh things in the Bible that are now done away with? No. The laws speak the mind of God as to what is good and what is wholesome and what is for life. Some Christians complain about the laws when they should delight in them instead. We should be more excited about carrying out the will of God than we would be about inheriting great riches, Scripture says. And so you are called this morning, and you're not called to do that alone, as you must understand. Nevertheless, even as you know what Christ has done for you, even as you know the mighty power of the Holy Spirit of what he's doing in you. Yet that does not leave us as stocks and blocks. But it leaves us equipped. And it is our task to equip ourselves all the more. Be dedicated. Brothers and sisters, Boys and girls, take time to meditate on what God says. Take time to study His ways. And do so faithfully, that is, do so daily. Meditate and consider. What is it God is writing here? What does it mean for my life? And be faithful at it. Say in your heart, make the pledge. I will not neglect your word day in or day out, Lord. I will always start my day with you and complete it to your glory, Father. Yes, especially because I know what your Son has done for me in redeeming my life. And in presenting it for holiness. Because he suffered and gave his all for me. I will through your power. Dedicate my life to you. Help me father through your Holy Spirit. To live the life I now 
may. Help me to be clean and holy in your sight. You alone are worthy, for you alone have kept me. Amen.